So, like uh, Lisa said, we're starting a brand new series, which I, I, David's my favorite character in the Bible. I don't know about you, but before we actually jump into that, there's something that I want to announce this morning. A couple weeks ago, you may have been here and uh, you knew that our teens did a bake sale. And if you're not connected with us on social media, you might not have heard the total for that. So they did a bake sale. They were here the Saturday night before church, baking and all that kind of stuff. And we had uh, some uh, amazing, if you were here and saw some of the cakes that were made, like some of the special cakes that were auctioned off, they, they were amazing. And I got to taste almost all of them. It just, it just happens that way sometimes, and, and they were awesome and fantastic. And I just want to let you know, the teens had, had just kind of, you know, hey, what's this ballpark figure goal that we could go for? And they said, let's try to raise $500. And this was all for, to go straight to hurricane uh, relief uh, for victims of all the hurricanes that have, have been going on. And so their goal was $500 for that, and they raised $600.97. So... So good on them for that effort, and good on you guys for supporting them and being willing to, uh, to eat cake. So good job on that. So David's my favorite person to read about or to study in the Bible. I love all the intrigue and the different things that happen into his life. There's so many different narratives and plot lines and stories that happens uh, in, in his life and the things that he does and the decisions and the failures and the good things that happen. To me, it's like watching The Princess Bride, which is the greatest movie ever. You've got a little bit of everything, danger, sword fighting, romance, you know, all that kind of stuff in that movie. It was kind of like that for David. And he's the most written about character, person in the Bible. There's 66 chapters in the Old Testament spanning four different books that talk about David's life. The New Testament mentions him 59 times. David wrote 73 of the Psalms. I mean, not only do we know about his life, but we have a picture into his soul uh, in a lot of ways throughout the Scripture. And so there's, there's just tons of information, a lot of cool things, and we're going to be talking about him over the next four weeks, which we cannot cover everything in his life in that short of a time. But the most significant thing for me, I think, about David is in the midst of all the craziness and the cool stuff and the horrible stuff that happens in his life, God says something very specific about David that I think is worth noting and paying attention to. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, he says this about David. He says, I have chosen for myself to lead this nation, a man that is after my heart. And So not only do we know about who, who David is and what his life is and have a window into his soul, but because of the type of person he is, God identifies him as someone who kind of gets what God is like, who understands or at least pursues in his life the same kind of heart of God. And so that's why we're going to be looking at his life. We're going to be looking at the four major roles that kind of shaped him and reveals how he's like God or at least how he's after God's own heart. And so that, that's why we're doing this, this series, which I get that for some of us, like that's not necessarily a goal in our life right now. Like being a man or a woman after God's own heart might not be on your radar right now. It not, might not just be a thing. Maybe you're more concerned right now about what you're going to do for, for your next job or where you're going to live or getting through school or maybe you've got a family issue that's really pressing right now. And, and so like that idea, that's not even something that you're, that you're looking at or your life is pointed toward right now. Or maybe you're just not even fully bought into believing in God. But... I think even as we look into and dive into David's life, you're going to see how God still works in our lives 
to cause us to pursue him. That some of the things that even if you're not focused on being a person after God's own heart, some of the things that you're going through in your life right now are preparing you in ways that you do not expect for God to accelerate your faith journey toward him. Now, each of us can think of examples in our our life where we've looked back and said, man, at the time I didn't appreciate that, but now that I'm going through this thing, I'm glad that happened. Something your parents said or made you do, and you're like, come on, mom and dad, this is stupid. I can't believe you're making me do this. I'm having to do my chores. Now you're glad you know how to mow grass. something, Something like that. Or teacher in school, they made you do math, and now... You have a phone and calculator and Google, so you didn't know that, need to know that then. But, but maybe there's some things that you can think of like that. In 1984, there's a Japanese immigrant who moved to California, and he befriended a troubled teen. And he uh, began mentoring this teen. And one of the ways that he did this is he gave this teen odd jobs. And he's supposed to help out this teen with another very specific problem. And the teen got really frustrated with his mentor because he just didn't feel like these odd jobs were actually teaching him what he wanted to know. And that's when Mr. Miyagi (laughs) showed Ralph Macchio that his fence fence painting technique uh, was for a much different purpose. It was preparing him in unexpected ways. And, you know, God uses where you are right now or where you've been, even if you aren't expecting it, he uses where you've been to prepare you for where you're going. And David may be the most written about and famous Israelite king that we know of, but it's not what he did as a king that caused him to be a man after God's own heart. That's not what determined his value in God's eyes. In fact, that happened somewhere about 15 years before David becomes a king and becomes famous in the land as the youngest of eight sons of a man named Jesse. Now, as David is growing up, the nation of Israel is experiencing the birth pangs of a brand new monarchical system. There's a guy named Saul who's the king. He was perfect for this. He was big, he was tall, he was strong, he was handsome. He had all the outward appearance of being a fantastic national icon, military leader, and the people had chosen him to be their first king. But things were not going well at all. Saul followed God up until the point where it was kind of convenient for him, and then he would take his own path. And at this point, as David is a teenager, Saul has rejected God so many times that God has said, all right, now I'm going to reject you. And so he sends this guy named Samuel, who's a prophet of his, he's a messenger of God, and he says, I'm ready for you to anoint a different king, so I'm going to send you to this guy named Jesse. And Samuel goes and meets Jesse, and he says, hey, I want you to bring your sons out, and we're going to make a sacrifice for God, and when we do that, I'm going to anoint one of your sons. And so they go out, they're out there together, Jesse brings his seven sons missing one, and he goes through, and Samuel sees the oldest son, and he thinks, man, this guy is perfect. He's tall, dark, handsome, he's strong, this guy looks like he'd be good in a fight. He must be the guy that God wants to anoint. This is the firstborn son, he would be awesome. But God says to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so the next time you have a friend, you know, or maybe your wife says, hey, how do I look in this? I just got this new dress. Just say, the Lord does not look at things people look at. 
Just try it. Maybe that'll be a good line for you. Say, hey, God said it. So I'm just sharing that with you. See, Samuel was about to make the same mistake that everybody else had made with Saul. That he was going to look and say, hey, outwardly this guy looks amazing. But as Jesse parades his seven sons that are there across Samuel, he's like, no, not that one. No, not that one. I'm sure Samuel was thinking, all right, God, we've gone through all of Jesse's sons. What's up? And so he looks at Jesse and he says, hey, man, you don't by any chance have any other sons, do you? And Jesse said, yeah, my youngest, but he's out with the sheep. Like, he, he's not here. I didn't think he'd be worth asking uh, to be here. And Samuel says, hey, we're not going to sit down. We're going to wait until he gets here. And when he comes in, God tells Samuel, that's the one. Get up, anoint him. He's, he's the guy. And maybe, you know, maybe you can kind of identify a little bit at some point in your life, maybe right now uh, where David was in this life, where he wasn't felt, it wasn't felt like he was worth being even invited to this, where you hear this idea of God preparing you in your situation right now for something that's to come, and you think, no, there's no way because the way things are going, like I'm not even recognized, I'm not even put in a position where that might be the case. And David wasn't either. I mean, he, he wasn't invited to the party. He might not have known that until they came uh, and, and got him. But, you know, David wasn't in a position in his life where he was concerned about what was going on in the future, what was to come. He didn't get anointed and appointed by God because he was jockeying for position. And he was like, man, I'm really ambitious and I want to be this great king in the Israelite nation. That, that's not something he was concerned about with his life. But what he was concerned about is in the place and the position that he was in in his life in that moment that he was going to do the best possible job that he could for his father and in honor and glory to God. He was the youngest. He was the shepherd. He was inexperienced. He wasn't even old enough to go to war, but God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called, and it starts with an obedient, God-focused heart, a man, woman, teenager, kid, person focused after God's own heart. And there, at this point, there's not necessarily any indication in the text that David knew that he was being anointed to be king. I mean, it, he didn't become this king in waiting and enjoy all these kind of special privileges and position in his life. Actually, if Saul had found out about this, he would have killed him as soon as he possibly could. But we'll talk about that a little bit next week. Um, but the way that he had lived his life up to that point made him ready to become king. He was faithful to his duties. He was practicing his required skill set. He had a reputation already for being a godly man. And that is what readied David for what God wanted to do through his life. When our hearts are God-directed, we're prepared for the unexpected in our life. And for David, it all began with tending sheep. See, it'd be a lot more fun, a lot more glamorous to skip directly to Goliath because that's the thing, like David, on a pop culture level, we, we underdog story, like that's what we think of. We say, oh, there's a David and Goliath movie or David and Goliath situation. So people have heard about that and it's great to skip right to that. But David would have never been ready for Goliath if he had never spent time as a shepherd. And here, here's why, and here's how uh, being a shepherd prepared him to be a man after God's own heart, prepared him to fight Goliath, and later on to became, become a king. It's because sheep need to be directed and protected, just like people and just like a kingdom. They need to be directed because sheep are dumb, just like people, just like nations, um, and, and they do stuff to get them in trouble. And part of that is because we've domesticated them. But maybe you heard like several years back, there was this uh, sheep that became famous for the whole country of New Zealand. His name was Shrek. And he, 
no joke, his name, he's, his name was Shrek. That's where the movie came from. No, I, I just made that up. That's not true. And so Shrek, like, he went and hid himself in a, cave, in a cave and would not come out for them to muster the sheep together. And so he was not shorn for like six or seven years and had so much wool on his body that he was going to die if, if he didn't get shorn. So they finally captured him and got him. They got this ton of stuff off of him. And it's just one of those things. It's crazy how, how that happens where they don't know or they don't understand that, man, if I don't get this thing that I'm trying to avoid happen to me, like I'm, I'm going to die as, as a result of that. So sheep need direction, and David did that. He cared for them. He made sure that they were taken care of. But they also need to be protected. Sheep have predators. There's thieves that come in and try to take flocks of sheep. There are bears, there are lions, there's tigers, oh my, you know, that come and try to take and destroy sheep. And so one of the things that David practiced day in and day out as a shepherd is with his sling. And you might think, oh, that's kind of a child's, you know, toy or something like that. Not what David used. The sling that David used, uh, he would have practiced so well that he would have rarely have ever missed his target and the sling that David used would have had the stopping power of kind of about a 38 special. So as a shepherd, David was prepared in unexpected ways for what God was going to do in his life and the path that he was going to take. See, all of this led to that famous moment in David's life when everything that he had done clicked with what God had been preparing him to do. At this point, the Israelites were at war with the Philistines. They were a nation. David's brothers are out there fighting that war. And actually, there's not a whole lot of fighting coming on, going on because the Philistines have their champion who comes out and challenges the Israelites, challenges someone to single combat so that whoever wins, um, they get to take the other nation, the other people group into slavery. And their champion was a guy named Goliath. And Goliath was literally a giant. Now, depending on how uh, you, you look at ancient sources and stuff like that, there are a couple of different heights that are talked about for what Goliath is. Your Bible, um, most of your Bibles are going to say Goliath was over nine feet tall. Um, some sources say that he was six foot nine. Either way, it doesn't matter. He was literally a giant at this time. People were a lot shorter back then, and he was huge. He was massive. Uh, you might know that Robert Waddell is, in modern recorded history, is the tallest man on record. He was eight foot eleven. Um, just a massive guy. You've probably heard of Andre the Giant, uh, who had a form of gigantism. It's very possible that Goliath had this as well. This dude was huge, and he was intimidating, and he was mocking the Israelite people, and by extension, he was mocking the power of God as well. And so David had come to bring food to his brothers, and he heard all of this going on, and he realized, man, nobody's doing anything about this. Here's this guy, he's mocking God's people, he's mocking God, and nobody is stepping up. And so he goes to Saul, and he says, you know what? He goes to the king, and he says, I can take care of this. Now, Saul's response is this. He says, you are not able, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 33, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Oh, great, you sold me. Like, you're, you're, you're a shepherd, uh, go for it. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he's defied the armies of the living God. 
And the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Saul, by the way, didn't mean the whole, may the Lord be with you. See, the irony in all of this is that Saul was made king because he was the biggest Israelite around. And he was battle-hardened. And he was experienced. And it was his responsibility to direct and protect his people. And yet when it came to protecting his flock, he was willing to send an untrained, someone he would have viewed to have been ill-equipped, young man to die in his place. See, when it came down to it, the difference between Saul and David in this moment was that Saul believed that he would rise or fall based on his own power, but David believed that he would rise or fall on God's power. And unexpectedly for him and for Saul and everyone else, David had been prepared by God for this extraordinary moment. And so you know what happened. It's the quintessential underdog story. David goes and picks up five, st- five smooth stones, and he goes to approach Goliath. And Goliath sees David coming, and he looks at him, and he just scoffs at him. He sees this is absolutely ridiculous, and he says, this is some great ancient trash talk here. He sees him as so insignificant. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 43, he says, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And that's when you go, oh, snap, he just said. But then, but then David has his own response. David said to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. See, Goliath sees David as completely unprepared, but he, he didn't realize he was up against a slinger. And David had the stones to take him out. Come on, guys. Goliath showed up with a sword to a gunfight. And David, because he was following after God's own heart, was unexpectedly prepared to take down a giant. And as much as we might prepare, and as much as whatever is going on in your life, you might be relying on your own efforts to get through whatever challenge you may be in or whatever stage of life you, may, you might be in, it is God who works and wills for us according to his good pleasure. He is the one that prepares us if our hearts are directed toward him. And what holds most of us back and causes us to wonder at others, like David, we look at the end of his life and think, or not necessarily the end, but the, the whole picture of his life and think, man, how can people like that do so many great things? And it was really just David being faithful in that moment. In the position that he was in, David took his job as a shepherd so seriously that he was prepared to take out a giant. And for so many of us, it would only take a single act of courage in recognizing that God is for us, so who can be against us? It would take a single act of courage to be the catalyst for something extraordinary for God to do in our life. 
And it's not based on what we're doing. It's about what God is doing in and through and around us. And I just want to share, share with you this cool story. Um, a couple weeks ago in our gel group, we had somebody mention that uh, they had a family that was in a church that was going through a really tough situation, and there were going to be some hard decisions that need to be made. And, and the, the pastor of the church and the, some of the leaders of the church were just struggling of, hey, can, like, can we make this call? Can, can we do this? I mean, this is going to be something that could really um, change things for the church, but it's the right thing to do. How, like, what should we do in the situation? As a gel group, we just stopped and we prayed for that situation. It wasn't until next week that we found out, as we came together, that same person who had mentioned what was going on, they said, hey, um, so it was interesting. I was talking to my family member who was at the church, and, they, and I was telling them that we had prayed for him that night, and they stopped me and said, which night were you praying? He said, oh, it was Tuesday night during our jail group. And he said, that's when an unexpected uh, emergency meeting was called and when the pastor and the leaders dealt with the tough situation that they had been wrestling with and struggling with at that time. Like, that's the moment when we were praying thousands of miles away and separated for, from them. And, I, you know, there's a little bit of time change there, so I don't know how exact it was or anything but, but that they were, they were being directed and protected by God and by God's Holy Spirit and prepared for that moment in ways that they didn't even know about. And the same thing is true for you and for me as Christ followers, that there are things happening in and around your life right now that you have no idea that are connected to the events that are happening in the moment that God is using to direct your path and your future God is unexpectedly preparing you to follow his heart. And like David, if you right now would focus on directing and protecting yourself and those around you according to what God has already told us to do in his word, you will be prepared for the unexpected that is to come. Like David, when it comes to doing the right thing and honoring God, don't look for someone else to step up. David could have been justified in just saying this is Saul's responsibility and gone home like a good young man back to the sheep and his life would never have taken on the trajectory that spans 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st Chronicles and 1st Kings. The motivation that David used wasn't arrogance. It wasn't because he knew what was going to happen in the future. He just simply honored God in that moment as being more important than his own life. When our hearts are God-directed, we are prepared for the unexpected. And so how are you being prepared in your life right now? Like, What are the circumstances that you're going through? Who are the people that are in your life? Whether you see them as being positive or, or negative things that God can use and will use to direct you to what he wants you to do and who he wants you to be. There's no one that is uniquely gifted and talented and given the abilities like you to do the things that God has empowered you to do and be. Nobody has, God has uniquely equipped you with gifts and talents and passions and resources to accomplish his will and to be guided by him. And just like Paul writes to his, his mentee Timothy in Philippians chapter 1, Verse 6, he says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you're a Christ follower this morning, God has already been working in your life. 
His Holy Spirit is already at work guiding you and protecting you and planning ahead for you. And so it just takes a moment for us to stop and to consider and evaluate what's the thing that God is asking me to be faithful in and through in this moment in my life? What's the thing that he's asking me to, to, to do and to say and to be in, the, in this life that is going to be directed toward him and say, man, I don't understand why I'm in this position or going through this thing, but I'm going to trust God and I'm going to follow him as best as I possibly can in this situation. And if you're not a Christ follower yet, man, that, there's a point in time in your life when you say, I'm all in, I'm ready to be baptized and to say, I'm going to start this faith journey with God and the Holy Spirit indwells within you that, that God is is there, and he's going to take care of the rest that maybe, maybe in your life it's a matter of saying, all right, I'm, I'm kind of done trying to do this on my own power. I'm, I'm ready for God to direct me in this. I'm ready for him to mold and shape me a heart that is after his so that I can be prepared for whatever is to come next. And that's what he calls us into. That's, that's what he does for us through his son, Jesus. See, God, unlike Saul, David uh, didn't expect someone else to die in his place. And this, this is the heart of God. And this is what God does when he sends Jesus. He doesn't send someone else to die in his place. He sends himself in and through Jesus, not as a warrior king, but as a humble servant and as a, and as a shepherd to protect and direct his flock toward God. And that's why we gather together, and that's why we worship that's why we celebrate. That's why we gather in each other's homes throughout the week is to encourage and remind ourselves that no matter what situation we're in, God is there. And it's why every week at Velocity, when we gather and when we worship, we take communion to be reminded that Jesus has already won the victory. No matter what giant that you might be facing, God has already taken care of that. He already knows what's going to happen on the other side of that. And win, lose, or draw... When we are focused toward God, he's exactly where he wants us to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time of worship. God, thank you for this time of uh, remembering who you are and what you're about and what our lives are meant to be pointed to. God, remind us through your Holy Spirit and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as we live out our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.